Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. We've been going through a series on Paul, if you recall, and we've been uh, had at least ten weeks we've been doing it, but mainly we're trying to learn how to respond in different things like Paul did and how to, uh, ways he did different things. And so uh, we're going to continue with that today, and uh, if you wanted to title it, Responding as Paul Responded, I think it's not easy. Some of you might remember Kenny Rogers had a song out a number of years ago and he in the song, he's basically singing about his nephew and how everybody in the town called him the coward of the county because he made the promise to his dad that he would walk away from a fight. But then it also continues on, and there, there's also a time when you have to be a man, you have to fight. And so I want us to think about that. How often do we fight when we should walk, and how many times do we walk when we should fight? There's a lot of things about it. But let's see if we can respond like Paul did. And, uh, so going through it even again this morning, we may end up having to make this two weeks because there may be more than what we've been able to cover. So let's look over in Galatians chapter 1, responding as Paul responded. The first one is Scripture is supreme. Responding as Paul responded. He's writing to Galatians and he notes in verse 6. Galatians 1, 6-9. Notice he says, I am so amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which is not really another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that, which has been preached to you, let him be accursed. We said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel, contrary to what you have received, let him be accursed. Well, would you agree that in Paul's mind, Scripture is supreme? If you teach anything else, let him be accursed. I think it's important because we live in a, it doesn't matter who the speaker is. Paul said, even if I came and started teaching something different. We remember we've had some in town who taught the uh, truth of Scripture for a while and then they changed and went on to say that everyone is going to go to heaven and God died for everybody and everybody's going to go to heaven. That's not what Scripture teaches. God, Christ did die for everyone, but it obviously is faith in Jesus Christ. But I want you to think about this. Scripture really my guide. We have a lot of teachings going on today and practices where people are not practicing what Scripture teaches. And so are we going to take a stand? Paul obviously did. In fact, you finally get to chapter 2 when Peter... Uh, uh, and as well as Barnabas, uh, we're not associating and being uh, basically hypocrites. Paul called them out because that's not what Scripture says. So I think what for all of us, is Scripture really my guide? Or how many of us is it uh, the denomination? The denomination says something we have to believe. Or our country says something we have to. Uh, and we certainly have had a lot of that. Or different associations. Um uh, and it affects us all of us more than we realize. It's like we've said many times. 
looking at your pictures of yesteryear, how many of you are embarrassed by some of the things you wore? I see that everybody's looking over their glasses at me. But when you wore them at the time, what'd you think? Oh, you were cool, right? And you didn't think anybody was forcing you to wear any of that. That was your choice. But it's amazing how much we have. So Scripture should be whatever Scripture says. That's why in Second Timothy, Paul tells you, preach the word in season and out of season. There's times right now in our country where Scripture is not welcome. But Scripture is supreme in Paul's mind, and that's what has to be our guide in regards to what people say. So think about, first of all, responding like Paul does, we have to keep that Scripture has to be number one. Notice in verse, you go on to verse 10, the second thing is interesting when you look at this. For I am not seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I still try to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Notice he's a servant of God. Notice he said, if I still was trying, so in other words, before he was trying to please men. And would you agree that most people are out there trying to please men? And Paul says, I'm not here to please men. And when he uses the word there for bondservant, it's when a person is a free man, but chooses to become a slave of another. Paul was freed from sin, and he was free, which he writes later in this book, he chose to be a slave of Christ. As a slave of Christ, who's boss? God is. And whatever God says to do, He does it because He's chosen to be a slave. But how many of us have chosen to be a slave of God? It's really, really difficult. I think what happens, I'll be a, a servant of God as long as what? He asks me to do what I want to do. When I want to do it, the way I want to do it, and so on. And so I think it's interesting when we look at it, Matthew 6, remember you cannot serve God and mammon. What about First Kings 18? Do you remember when Elijah is standing before all the, remember he had all the prophets, he had 850, but only half of them came to the contest. And what was Elijah's great cry out to the people? How long will you choose or vacillate between two opinions? Serve God serve these. And we have the same thing. Paul said, responding like he did, I'm serving. He never thought, you know, went back on it. From the road to Damascus on, he never changed. And how many of us are willing to respond, irregardless of what people think? And so you think about it, we have one, is that of, is Scripture supreme? And if I don't know what Scripture says, that's why I have to give Martin Luther credit. Can you imagine as he was going through, and he looking at what the church taught, and what he was taught, and then he has he read scripture and he realized what? Scripture says this. He starts making the changes. What happens when you and I read scripture, but it was isn't what we were taught or what people hold to or whatever? Am I going to stay true to scripture? And then as a servant of God, whatever he asks me to do, I'll do. Go over then, I think, another one, besides being a servant of God and being scripture. Look over in Philippians chapter one. We're not going to be, be in verse 20, but one I just think we ought to, 
you haven't memorized, keep in mind is in verse 6. We've looked at this a little bit on Wednesday night. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you ever feel like God's not doing anything? He's working in our life and he will continue to work in our life. How long? Until he takes us home. Until he takes us home. To be more like Christ. So the key is, am I working with him or am I working against him? I think a lot of times as parents, how many of you are trying to get your kid to, to do one thing and they're wanting to do the other and there's a constant conflict? How many of us are working with the Lord trying to make us more Christ-like? And so I think it's important. But the one I want to look at is, remember, we have the Scripture Supreme, a servant of God, but then notice starting in verse 20, what about a servant of man? Notice he's writing and he <clears throat> makes this in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame anything but that with all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body whether life or by death. For me to live as Christ and die is gain. <clears throat> Notice his goal is what? Anything and everything I do I want who to be glorified. I want God to be glorified. What I say, what I do, how I do it. But then go on a little bit further. In verse 22 and 23. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, that will mean fruitful labor for me. I do not know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having desire to part and be with Christ, for that is much better. So you notice he's writing this. He's in prison, and he's in Rome, and hey, I'd rather go to be with the Lord. That's great. But I'm hard-pressed. Why is he hard-pressed? Notice what he tells you then in verse 24 and 25, his conclusion. Yet to remain on in flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the progression and joy in faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through your coming to you again. I want to go to be with heaven, but you all need me, and other believers need me. So right now, I'm going to stay on the earth and continue to serve you and serve the Lord. How many of us have that kind of attitude? That I want to serve others. You think about it, did it cost Paul anything, all these service, every place he goes? To serve these people, it cost him dearly. It cost him dearly. And you can easily see why I've had enough. I want to go to be with the Lord. So I'm thinking about it. If it's my objective to serve and please myself, or is it to please God by serving others using my gifts? Paul said, you need me. Therefore, I'm going to stay to help you. And you ever wonder why you're still on this earth? We all have a gift, Correct. We are here on this earth to use that gift. And whenever he said it's time to go home, we'll go home. But while we're here, am I serving other people? I think what happens is we usually want to serve who? Ourselves. And if that's serving ourselves, we can help others, so be it. So think about responding as Paul did. One, is Scripture is supreme. Is it really supreme in my life? Two, am I a servant of God? I want to be a servant of Bond servant to him, I choose that. The third one is in a servant of man. Am I really here to, to serve others? 
and I think it's important. Uh, let's go to the fourth one. Look over in Second Corinthians chapter eleven. In Second Corinthians, they start questioning a lot about Paul, and so he basically is going to stoop for a little while to uh, act like they want him to. Uh, but notice his track record. First of all, he's going to silence the critics. Any of you ever have any critics? Any of you ever had any critics? If you've worked anywhere, you've had critics, haven't you? You know, you have it a lot at the refinery. You have all these upsets. You have uh, where I work. When you have power outages, you're making split second decisions, and you're having to do stuff. But when it's all said and done, do you think anybody's telling you, well, you should have done this, or you should have done that? It's easy to second guess. So how's Paul going to silence the critics? Notice in verse 5 of chapter 11, his track record. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evidence to you all in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel to you without charge. I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. When the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need and everything. I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. So think about it. Put it today's vernacular. Okay, so when he was in Macedonia... They left and they sent him money. You're 401k. You're not working at Corinth. What should Corinth do? <coughs> they ought to be paying you, right? But Paul was always wanting to real them to realize he never did something for money. So he's doing it for free. And he's taking the money from that was sent to him from Macedonia if you would in our vernacular his 401k and he's cashing it in and he's spending all of it to serve them free what would you and I do think about it notice he's going to go to true greatness and basically he's going to basically say okay I'm going to do what you want you guys has never done it any other place in scripture you think you want to know what greatness is okay I'm going to stoop to your level for a moment but then I'll tell you why you're wrong. But notice what he starts doing in verse 22 of chapter 11. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they in service of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often danger of death, Five times I received the Jewish 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, which that was the Roman form of punishment. Once I was stoned, which would have been at Lydia. Three times I was shipwrecked, which by the way, Scripture only shows us how many times. <coughs> One time, you think about it. At night and a day I spent in the deep, obviously that was the end of Acts. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. 
Apart from such external things, there were daily pressures upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I am to boast, I boast what pertains to my weakness. Alright, you want me to list a few things? Why greatness? Alright, I'll stoop to your level. What would you say he's pretty great? In their level. But notice he said what? I'd rather boast in what? My weakness. But most of us want to boast on what? Our great accomplishments. And here, if he hadn't written some of these, you would have never known he was shipwrecked three times. There's only one that was even written about. Think about it. All these things. What do you and I do with our accomplishments? How many of us want to put all those accomplishments out there? So when you go on a little bit further, he's going to write a little bit when you get to chapter 12. If you remember, starting in chapter 12, look in verse 7. Still on this talking about greatness. And notice in verse 7. And because of surpassing greatness of revelations, for this reason, to keep you from me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn of the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Considering this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for in power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses than the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How else would feel that way? I'm going to boast in distress, difficulty, when I can't handle things. Because when you're that way, you have to trust in who? Paul said, I want you to know true greatness is not the great accomplishments. It's when you are weak and have to trust in God because the only way you get anywhere is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think for all of us, because most of us want to defend ourselves. And Paul is basically just saying through greatness is because I trust in the weaknesses that I have. And I think it's interesting when you look at it, uh, this greatness that you have, you ever look at great men and women of Scripture, you'll find they had some turning points in their life. We think so much of Moses, but he says he was the most humble man to walk the face of the earth. He wasn't originally that way. We look at Joseph. Remember, he was so proud about telling his brothers, you're going to bow down to me twice. But in the end, he doesn't mention anything like that. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so I think it's important when you look at the difference going through it, when you're silencing the critics, just let your weakness, the Holy Spirit working through you, silence them. Because you otherwise you're going to be defending yourself the rest of your life. Look at another one I think is interesting. You had the same thing happen over in 1 Thessalonians, talking about silencing the critics. In 1 Thessalonians, if you remember the book of Acts, he had to be uh, escorted out of town. You remember that's when they beat Jason and they, Jason gives them the promise that Paul basically isn't going to come back. And so the Thessalonians now basically think that Paul doesn't care about it because Paul hadn't come back. You write to us, you tell us about how much you care about us, but you don't show up. 
How did you feel about that time? Any of you ever had where you're wanting to do things, you're trying to do things, and things just don't work out, and you get accused of things? Look in chapter 2 then, and notice how he answers this in verse 17, down to verse 20. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 to 20. But we, brethren, having been bereaved of you for a short while in person, not in spirit, the word there for bereaved, by the way, would be orphaned. <clears throat> you notice in person, we're all the more eager with great desire to see you, your face. Now again, how do they know that? He's writing to them. For I wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan thwarted us. For who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. So what's he telling them? You all don't think we care? We've been orphaned from you. We love you as a child. We want to be there. Satan has not allowed us to get there. But we do care. You're on our hearts. And in fact, so much so, when I come before the great white throne, or excuse me, when I come before the judgment seat of Christ, and they're going to ask me what to show for my life, I'm going to say what? Thessalonians, you are my crown. This is what I got to show for my life. You think you, that, that I don't care about you? Or you're not a concern? This is what I have to show for my life. What do you and I have to show for our life? You think about it. When I go with, how do you silence the critics? When I get to heaven, is my house going to be there? No. Is my income going to be there? Nothing's going to be there except for the works I've done for him and the people. And so Paul is saying what? Look, here's the people. Look at what I've served. You want to know if I care about you, this is what I'm going to show Christ when I get there one day. That's how much I care about you. So think about it when we want to silence the critics. How many of us are turning around? And by the way, you know, the people we can take with us. We can serve people. And they can stand up. So think about it. When we look at silencing the critics, most of us, we want to do it. And he's telling it, look guys, Ultimate silence is going to come there. But since you're talking about the ultimate silence, look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 for a moment. It's a basically he's going through a conclusion. We might have to go back to chapter 3 to kind of get the. the and there's a lot of division in the uh, Corinthian church. And. Paul wants to set it straight, and he's doing that in chapter 2 and chapter 3. In fact, when you go back to chapter 3, we'll just go there for a moment, verse 5. What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. So it's important, first of all, to recognize who gave the opportunity? God did. Notice the second thing. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. We each have a job to do, but God causes the growth. How many times do we think we cause the growth? We don't cause the growth. Holy Spirit does. But keep going. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. And if you have never memorized this verse, learn this one. 
verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Each has received his own reward according to his own labor. In America, everyone has received the reward according to what? Results, is it not? It's not results. Labor. So in other words, you can go to a place and labor for the Lord. You go to there. You know, you've seen this a lot with missionaries. I'll never forget this happened. Mom was there at the time. This would have been 50-some years ago. Sitting at a mission conference. And we at our church that we had, we had a lot of missionaries. Once a year, they'd have a mission conference. And all the missionaries that were anywhere close would come, that we supported would come, and they would speak. And they're all up on a panel. I'll never forget it. And they then ask, part of it is they're wanting to say, you know, who do we support, who do we continue to support, do we increase support, whatever it might be. And they said, the question then was asked, would each one of you go down and tell how many people you led to Christ this last year? So as they're going down through them, you know, one of them says, well, we, it's probably about uh, 50 or another one, well, it's probably 100 that came to know Christ through our ministry this year. And then got to one, he started crying. He worked in the Arab, he worked among Muslims. He said, maybe one in the last 15 years. If you're faithfully serving, now what happens is people are going to say, what, if we're short on money, we don't give money to who? The one who's not producing. But is his labor? Is he given the word of God? It's not up to him. The word is. You're giving the Word of God out. The Holy Spirit convicts them. It's up to them to respond or not respond. If they don't respond, that doesn't mean you didn't do your job. You go a little bit further and notice he then says we have to build on the foundation of God and His foundation. And then notice what it says in verse 12 and verse 13. That if anyone builds upon the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each man's work will become evident for the day will come revealed by fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. So again, how do you know what, whether somebody's doing something for my glory or God's glory? Can you preach for your glory? Can you sing for your glory? You bet. Well, if I had a beautiful voice, it'd be hard. I don't, so it's easy. But, I, you know, I love music, but, I, you know, I'm not any, any good at it. But how many times you can do that on any of them? You can be up front and a lot of accolades, a lot of things can come. So are you doing it for God's glory or for your glory? If I'm doing it for God's glory, but that's why we stop right there. But remember, we're wanting to silence the critics. I'll never forget I was in India a number of years ago and I brought that up. And I said, am I, am I teaching this for my glory or God's glory? And everybody goes, oh, it's for, you're doing it for God's glory. And one of them in the back was correct. We don't know. And he's 100% correct. They're 100% correct. That's why I go on to chapter 4. Where, notice it's in verse uh, 1 and 2. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries. In this case, moreover, it's required of a steward to be found faithful or trustworthy. 
But remember, go then to verse 4 and 5. Remember, Paul is wanting to silence the critics. I'm conscious of nothing against myself. <laughs> wow, that's an amazing statement. How many of you can look in the mirror and say, my conscience is totally clear? That's not good enough. Look on. Yet I'm not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment for the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will in both bring to light the things hidden in darkness, disclosing the motives of men's hearts. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. Who's going to reveal the truth? God will. And He's going to say, alright, this was your motive for speaking. This was your motive for singing. This was your motive for changing that tire. It's amazing when a young lady at a high school has a flat tire in the parking lot. How many young men are all volunteering to change the tire? They're doing it to bring glory to God, right? (coughs) It doesn't change. We're the same way. Or can be. Paul is silencing the critics. Hey, you want greatness? Alright, this is how you judge it, but it's all wrong. Greatness is when you're serving through your weakness. You don't know I'm doing it for God's glory. He'll judge me one day. I'm doing it for labor. All those things are important. I think it's for all of us to look at it when we want to silence those critics. Are we doing it? So you think about it. Do we all have a trial awaiting us? Yep. We all have a trial awaiting us. We can ask a question. Do I desire to test or toot my own horn or allow others through my, my actions to toot it for me? It's amazing, I think. Well, allow, uh, do I recognize one day I'm going to stand before him? How many of us are willing to just keep quiet and not defend ourselves and allow that to take place when Christ comes? And I think it's important. That's hard. Because most of us want to do what? When you get attacked, you want to defend yourself. So think about it. So far we've seen, we want to respond like Paul did. How important is Scripture? Okay? So I can disagree or whatever, but what does Scripture say? That's what's going to be my answer. Second one, am I a servant of God? Do I serve Him and serve Him only? And I want to please Him and wherever He sends me, that's what I'll do. The third one is being that of a servant of man. How well do servants get rewarded? Moms at 2 in the morning, how well did you get rewarded for waking up to take care of the little? You got rewarded with lack of sleep, right? But what's amazing to me in watching any of your big NFL games and you have some big lineman, 350-pound lineman, and what does he almost always say? Thanks, Mom. (laughs) You have these big old guy up there. Why? Because of service. And what all she sacrificed. What about you and I? What do we sacrifice? Now obviously to silence the the critics, what's our track record? Paul didn't take the money. If they voluntarily gave it, otherwise it's why he said he's working morning, noon, and night in chapter 2 of Thessalonians. Why? Because he would do intense. And then taking preaching to him as well. And I think it's interesting to silence the critics. Most of us want to defend ourselves. And I think it's interesting when you look at it. The, uh, 
Let's look at one other. Look over in Acts 21 for a moment. You notice in verse uh, 30, uh, Paul gets arrested and they, they're in Jerusalem and they think that he brought a Gentile into the temple and obviously he doesn't. And they are basically uh, beating him. Notice in starting in verse 30, all the city was in uproar. The people rushed together. They took hold of Paul. They dragged him out of the temple. Immediately the doors were shut and they're seeking to kill him. Notice, and you get to 32, how would you like to be the Romans in charge? The Remember, they're constantly changing because Rome wanted peace. And if you bring up a lot of uproars, then the Romans come in and then they would squelch it. But whoever was in charge would then get replaced and somebody else would be there because they don't want it. So notice the, the uh, Jews are beating him. In 32, the Romans stopped the beating. I don't think we uh, think much about that and they put him in chains and they start carrying him off you find that in 34 and they're all yelling at him the crowd is and notice in 36 the multitude of the people kept following you behind crying away with it now, so here you are Paul you haven't done one thing wrong and they assumed you because you were in Jerusalem with the Gentile they now see you in the temple. They're assuming that you brought who in the temple? The Gentile, which Paul didn't. And they're out here and they're beating. So they take him in verse 37. Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, the Roman barracks. And he said to the commander, may I say something to him? And he said, do you know Greek? Then he <clears throat> Then he said, You're not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up the revolt and led 4,000 men of assassins out into the wilderness. So they were thinking, the Romans think he's, obviously they didn't know Greeks, so Paul obviously, he now realizes, the Roman realizes, oh, he's not this guy we thought he was. And Paul then says, I am a Jew of Tarsus in Sicily, a citizen of an insignificant city. I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. So here he goes and turns to the Roman and speaks to him in Greek. Now he turns to speak Aramaic and he's going to speak to the crowd. And he now gives his testimony to the crowd to lead them to Christ. Now what would you and I do? If they just got through beating me, do I care about their salvation? You think about it. Paul seizes every opportunity that he has. And he's getting beaten, and he then turns and says, let me speak to the girl. And everything goes just fine if you read through all the verses. Everything. They're quiet, and they're listening to him, and he's speaking to him in their native tongue until verse 21. And he said to me, go, for I'll send you away to the Gentiles. And they listened to him up to that statement, and then raised their voices, away with him. Away with him. Why? Because he said he was going to the Gentiles. You think they didn't care for Gentiles. But stop and you think about it. How many of us are seizing every opportunity? And you're going to find this throughout the book of Acts. He keeps seizing every opportunity. Anytime he gets a chance to speak, he seizes it. And it goes through it. So, what would you and I do? 
How much would just say, thank the Lord the Romans were here and they got me out of here. I'm keeping my mouth shut. I'm going in here. I'm not going you know, to stir up the crowd. And he does what? No. I want to speak to the crowd. I want to talk to them about Jesus Christ. And think about it. So when we look at it, we want to silence and Scripture, servant of God, servant of man. Let your work speak and do it for His glory and then obviously seizing every opportunity. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.